0: The day that changed the world. If I ask you that question, the day that changed the world, what day do you think of? Are you there this evening? September 11? Yes, some people think of September 11. Those in more recent history will never forget that day. Interesting, the Honolulu advertiser, Honolulu, by the way, called it America's bloodiest day. This is the second Pearl Harbor. Some people will remember Pearl Harbor as the day that changed the world. Uh, here are some representations, of course, some pictures of that day, which was, as some of you might know your history, December 7, 1941. It happens to be my mother-in-law's birthday. Uh, so we always remember Pearl Harbor Day. She was six or seven years of age on that day when the attack took place. A few more shots of Pearl Harbor, a day that will go down, as they say, in infamy. You turn the. Uh, It's a little loud, Mark, thanks. Some people also think that, uh, well, maybe not. This is, of course, the US, and this is the uh, newspaper. Uh, Perhaps the day that changed the world, others say, is another day. And that is considered um, the day of the dropping of the atomic bomb. This is a picture of Hiroshima. I had a chance to visit Hiroshima uh, more recently, and it's an unforgettable place to go to, even today. These are some pictures of people who were uh, terribly burned by that Uh, nuclear war and the second coming of Jesus is this uh, the beginning of that but for Adventists as we know scripture what is the day that changed the world and I am actually going to suggest a prophetic paradigm think about this for a moment in prophecy in apocalyptic prophecy a day equals what A a year therefore The day that changed the world, I would like to suggest, is the year, what? 1844. That was the day. Now, I want to give you a quick historic background to the events leading up to this important day, 1844, okay? You go back to 1798. Louis Berthier, uh, this is uh, Napoleon's general, who arrested Pope Pius VI, there's a couple pictures of the two of them here, there's overwhelming evidence that events leading up to it were climactic, and uh, not only that, the very next year, 1799, what was this? Rosetta Stone was discovered, yes, again by Napoleon's uh, uh, army. Uh, up until that time, the uh, hieroglyphics on the uh, the reliefs on the walls in Egypt, nobody understood them. They'd forgotten how to read hieroglyphics. But along came Champollion. Here's a picture. And what he did? He deciphered this uh, the hieroglyphics. And a picture of Champollion here, took him about 20 years, and they could again read. So major things were happening now. 1826, the first photograph was made. This, by the way, is a picture of the first photograph in 1826. 1831, the first electricity was produced from magnets. Here's a picture of uh, Faraday's uh, invention here. Uh, 28th of October, incidentally, that's the very day I got married. Of course, more than a century and a half later on. Uh, 1834 the first sewing machine was invented and uh, things were happening really fast 1837 the first steel plow by John Deere himself Here's a picture of John Deere with some of these early plows 1839 is our next uh, picture the first bicycle was invented I don't have a picture of the first this bicycle but the later models are very well known these penny farthings in fact on the right hand side here you'll see going on a imagine going a bike race such as that it looks like it will take more to just stay on to on these wheels. But I need to back up a little bit, because this is now 1839 when the bicycles were invented. But what was happening in the religious world? 1830 already, about a decade earlier, William Miller had begun to preach Bible prophecy. Um, here's, of course, a couple of pictures of William Miller, this Baptist farmer turned preacher. And uh, 1833, three years later, was the famous Leonard shower, the falling of the stars. The next year was Halley's comet. This was the most amazing falling of the stars that was ever seen. Uh, something like sixty thousand per hour. It's never been this intense ever since. And uh, of course, Halley's comet was uh, streaking across the sky at that very, uh, the very next year. All of these things that were happening from the capture of uh, Pope Pius the sixth. To all of these celestial events caused people to go back and say, wait a minute, if we read our Bibles carefully, this seems to be the fulfillment of scriptural prophecies, the 1260 years of, and they saw this from 538 to 1798, when Pius was taken captive, and of course they began to dig further, especially this uh, section here. In Daniel 8, verse 14, became the focus of uh, the, the study. And he said to me, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now, by the way, I'm going to pause right here because I know there are some who say, Oh, that's a mistranslation. You know, it's fascinating. That one word, cleansed, there's has been quite a debate about that. But careful study of that interesting word, cleansed. That word appears one time in that form in the entire Old Testament. Nitzdak Okay It's only time it appears in that form And if you study that word out uh, Dr. Richard Davidson Californian Went and did some serious research on that And he found out that that word Actually has three meanings And, And it's a word that Fortunately has three meanings Because the verse before Daniel 8, 13 Asks three questions so it's fascinating, if you're to read a study on that, it's found in the uh, Journal of the Adventist Theological Society, one of the early uh, volumes that came up on this a study of Nitzchak in Daniel 8.14. Fascinating. And so it is the best word that could have been chosen because it gives three answers in one word for three questions asked in verse 13. The sanctuary will be cleansed, that's the correct translation, Other translations say the sanctuary will be restored, which is also a correct translation. The sanctuary will be reconsecrated. All three meanings answer the the three questions of verse 13. Fascinating study of that, that Dr. Davidson has done. Daniel 8, verse 14. So actually, the different translations bring out the different meanings, and they are all correct. Uh, You must take into account all of the information. But of course, back then, uh, the time of... uh, William Miller, they were looking specifically at the issue of cleansing and they misunderstood one thing. They believed that the earth was the sanctuary and the sanctuary would be cleansed by fire, which meant Jesus would come, was their understanding, their misunderstanding. They went to these passages in Ezekiel 4:6, and Numbers 14, 34, each day for a year. And in Bible, apocalyptic prophecy, one day, one prophetic day equals one little year. And so what did they conclude? 2,300 days of Daniel 8:14 was 2,300 years. They were right about that. Many began to proclaim this end time message. Okay, and what happened? Make a long story short. Some of you are already aware of that. Their appeal was specifically this. Prepare to meet Jesus. And there's a lot of excitement about what they believed was a prophecy predicting the coming of Jesus. They were right about the date. They were wrong about the event, October 22, 1844 came along and it was a devastating disappointment as you well know, those of you who know a little bit about the history. Now the question I want to ask, and this is of course an artist's conception of the devil and his angels being cast out of heaven. If you think about it, the devil's been around for a long time. Who would be one of the best students, I'm using it in quotes, of prophecy? The devil he knows how to use and abuse scripture he even quoted misquoted scripture to Jesus and so to me as I studied this whole issue a little more deeply I have concluded that just as God was laying the groundwork through all of these events happening and I'm going to share more of with you over this weekend God was preparing the groundwork through inventions through Bible translations we're going to talk about that tomorrow and I uh, As God was preparing the groundwork for 1844, the devil himself knew that something major was supposed to happen in 1844. And so, as I've studied, I am suggesting, and not just me, other historians, well-respected historians, such as Leroy Edwin Froome, some of you might know his books, The Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers, The Conditionless Faith of Our Fathers, some of the best volumes ever produced in Adventism. Also, um... Uh, Jerome Clark was a professor of history at Southern years ago, I believe now deceased, I happen to have the privilege to meet Dr. Clark. These historians have concluded that the devil was actively involved also promoting and laying the foundation for major movements in 1844. So what I want to share over this weekend is to show you not just that major movements were started by the devil, and I even call this a satanic scheme, and this is not a conspiracy, it's simply the facts. Because just as, and I want you to watch this, just as God was raising up, and I believe it with all my heart, just as God was raising up the Advent movement to recapture several forgotten or lost serious important biblical truths at the same time that God was raising up the small band of Bible believers at the same time the devil was beginning to rise up major counter movements now notice this every one of these counter movements was directly attacking one specific doctrine that God was recapturing through the Advent movement fascinating as you look at it tonight I want to look at uh, one major uh, one major satanic scheme here and uh, this uh, I think we'll, you will see incredibly what happened. The devil was behind this. No question about it whatsoever. The first prong was an intellectual idea that arose right there. And I want you to follow with me here briefly. I'm going to go quickly. I'm watching my... What time do we end here, Norman? Nobody's answering. Eight? Eight, 8? okay? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, Frederick. Frederick was on his way from Manchester, where he was working, England, on his way home to Germany, when he decided to stop and visit a friend of his in Paris, the year 1844. Who was his friend? His friend's name was Karl. Karl who? Karl Marx. Frederick? Frederick who? This is a picture of Karl Marx on the left, and Frederick Engels fascinating as you study they met there in Paris Karl Marx, Frederick Engels met and I want to quote a little bit about these two men, listen to this okay, Frederick Engels says when I visited Marx in Paris in the summer of 1844 our complete agreement in all theoretical fields became evident at that time together they wrote a critique of the rage of their day and this marked the beginning of their friendship now listen to this this is, by the way, a historian. I'm quoting a historian in one of these secular books. They, it says this was, quote, a lifelong association that would change the world. I told you 1844, the day that changed the world. Okay, this is what they said. 1844, the day that changed the world. Then, of course, uh, Engels uh, wrote to Marx when he was in Germany. This is what Engels said when she got back home. We are at present holding public meetings all over the place to set up societies for the advancement of the workers. Now, listen to this. By a huge majority, everything Christian was banned from the rules. This is 1844. In February 1844, uh, Karl Marx published a book in which he said, The criticism of religion is a prerequisite of all criticisms. Man makes religion. And on the first page of that 1844 publication, Marx made this famous statement, Religion is the opiate or the opium of what? Of the masses, of the people. 1844, okay? So this is the way, and then of course he said the way to real happiness is to get rid of all, rid of all religion. A direct attack on God, on Christianity. This is the beginning of Marxism, socialism, communism, all starting right there in 1844. What, uh, and of course Time Magazine had material on it. They promised, incidentally, what did communism offer? A utopia. You don't need heaven. You don't need Jesus to come to give you a better life. We can give it to you right here, right now. In a sense, and this ideology was a fake or a pseudo second coming. You don't need Jesus, we will provide it. But of course communism turned out to be a horrible um, mess uh, uh, and many people became enslaved by this. Now it is true, Ronald Reagan, the 40th president of the United States, when he stood up to Gorbachev. I Remember those memorable words? Mr. Gorbachev. What did he say? Tear what? This wall down. What was he talking about? The Berlin Wall. And you know what's interesting? It was on 9-11. Now, that's the way the Europeans counted. The ninth day of the eleventh month in the United States has flipped around it was actually 9-11 if, European counting 9-11-1989 that the Berlin Wall came down ironically okay, that's when the Berlin Wall did come down and a billion people with a B were freed from communism but that wasn't the end of communism because right now to this day there are still millions tens of millions of North Koreans, still under communism, to say nothing of the millions in Cuba, to say nothing of about 1 point something billion people in China who are still under communism. Okay, So communism offered freedom. You don't need Jesus to come. We will provide a utopia here on earth. And of course the, uh, the communists came along with some sup- a, an intellectual ideology I want to go to what I call the second prong the second attack of the devil also, ironically, same time period it's a theological theory that arose now, I'm going to switch here and read to you something before I show you the next picture see if you recognize this uh, Time magazine had, a, had an interesting quote this is uh, 2002 because you see, sometimes folks If the devil cannot succeed from it by attacking the church from the outside, which was communism, what does he do? He comes from the inside. And sometimes he's more successful from the inside. Listen to this. At the start of book one, quoting Time magazine now, on a jet bound from Heathrow for Chicago, the flight attendant suddenly finds about half the seats empty, except for the clothes and wedding rings and dental fillings of the believers who have suddenly been swept up to heaven. Down on the ground cars are crashing, husbands are waking up to find only a nightgown in bed next to them, and all children under 12 have disappeared. The books of the Left Behind series offer readers a vivid, violent, and utterly detailed description of just what happens to those who are left behind on earth to fight the Antichrist after Jesus raptures or lifts the faithful up to heaven. Okay, and you know about the Left Behind series, incidentally, 14-part series. Time magazine says, this interest in the end times is no fringe phenomenon. Only about half of the Left Behind readers are evangelical, which suggests there is a broader audience of people who are having the conversation. Guess what? Of the series, more than 60 million books have been sold. Okay, one of the books called Glorious Appearing, sold more than almost 2 million copies before it was published okay when we have a book sold in our, from our Adventist publishing houses if it's a bestseller guess how many books must be sold anybody know 5000 okay 5000 glorious appearing sold 2 million copies before it was published so you know this is a major thing okay As a result, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins are classified as, I'm quoting now, America's best-selling writers. And that's better than even the well-known Stephen, uh, what's his name? King. Yes, thank you. For for a moment, I was going to say Stephen Spielberg. (laughs) Stephen King. Better, better, uh, these guys are better than Stephen King. Listen to this. Newsweek says, 55% of Americans in general, that's Christian, secular, Buddhist, Muslim, Atheist, 55% of all Americans, quote, think that the faithful will be taken up to heaven in the rapture. That's what people believe now. This is very alarming. Uh, One lady said, if we keep our eyes on Israel, we will know about the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, there was an Australian who was trying to hasten the coming of Jesus. So what did he do? He went to Jerusalem and he set fire to, to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Wait a minute, how does that speed up the coming of Jesus? Well, the people who believe in the rapture believe this. You must rebuild the temple, the third temple, and you must build it on the Temple Mound. But guess what's on the Temple Mound? The Dome of the Rock, the Al-Aqsa Mosque are in the way. So he went there, an Australian evangelical, set fire to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, hoping to burn that down to begin to prepare place for the building of the third temple so that Jesus would come again. Okay? This is part of the thinking. Uh, Time magazine says some Christian leaders have pressed their case in the white house, in the Bush White House, as if their salvation depended upon it. A uh, picture of an uh, artist's conception of the rapture, as you uh, well know about some of these ideas. Uh, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye based upon some of these scriptures, that's the idea. And I wanna spend just a few moments talking about what the rapture uh, really is all about. Incidentally, there are some people who've combined the rapture idea with the little second coming. The, and so, in, they actually had this one in, there was an ad in uh, US News and World Report, um, uh, or USA Today, sorry. A quarter or a half page ad, October 28, 1992, Jesus is coming they actually set a date now of course the rapture people say you don't know when he's gonna come but there are some that have come up with this so let's stop just a few moments on the rapture Uh, what is this all about and what uh, are some of the concerns about the rapture theory the rapture's theories dangers I'm not going to talk about the rapture uh, all the beliefs about it but here are three serious dangers believers this is what they they teach these are the dangers believers are safe in heaven and will not suffer the persecution, the tribulation, they call it. So if you're a believer in Christ, don't worry. You will not have to go through a so-called tribulation. Incidentally, all of this whole idea, uh, there isn't time to go into tonight, but it's based upon taking the 70 weeks of Daniel, cutting off the last week, throwing it into the future. Some of you are aware of that. And uh, this is part of that whole theory. But here is the second major danger. If you of their theory. If you miss the rapture, you will have a second chance to be saved. Now, you think I'm just pulling this out of my thumb? Let me read you quickly from a book by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Now, they have the series of fictional novels called The Left Behind Series. But in 1999, they came out with a book called Are We Living in the End Times? Now, by the way, I haven't bought one of their Left Behind Series. But I went and bought this one. Because this one says it is a book on Bible prophecy. (laughs) So I bought this book. And I was reading the book. Listen to this. Uncounted millions of men and women, girls and boys, will recognize that although they miss the rapture, and thus will have to endure the terrors of the tribulation, that's the point here. If you miss the rapture, you will be in the tribulation. Okay? But listen to the rest. Yet God is still calling them, wooing them to His side. We... Lehay and jenkins say in their book are we living in the end times we believe these tribulation saints could well number into the billions with a b you'll have a second chance in other words do not forget like i'm quoting still every one of these new believers will have been left behind after the rapture precisely because he or she had, to that point, rejected God's offer of salvation, yet, even then, the Lord will not give up on them. So you have a second chance. Now, what happens if you don't accept Jesus after the rapture, and then He comes? Guess what? Don't worry. You will have a third chance. Okay? Listen to this. If you are still not saved at Jesus' second coming, do not worry, for you will have a third chance to be saved. This will be for the first 100 years of the millennium. Where do they get that? And I'm, I'll read from their book again. So this is their book on prophecy. Okay, let me read you one more statement here. They claim that the scripture shows that, quote, I'm quoting now, believers will live through the entire 1,000 years. Believers. Period. But the unregenerate, the unsaved, will be given 100 years to repent and accept Christ as their Lord. The rapture theory is teaches that you have... Three chances to be saved this is your third chance by the way I love this isn't this great it'd be nice if it were true (laughs) okay Okay. so you you don't have to make up your mind you can you always got an extra chance and I'm just saying this is extremely dangerous because there are people that will miss out if they follow the system this is extremely dangerous now by the way we're not the only ones who believe this as I was driving down here uh, just a uh, less than a week ago coming from Sacramento I turned on the radio and uh, I was pleasantly surprised to hear, and there are many Christian radio stations in this part of the world. Wow, I couldn't believe how many. You have a lot of choices. And here were people talking, they, and not an Adventist station. They said, let's talk about the rapture. And these, um, this radio station was saying, now the rapture has several dangers, including the second chance theory. And they were challenging it on the radio. I thought, wow, we're not the only ones who question this. Okay, so where did it all come what does it have to do with 1844 aha this gentleman his name john nelson darby who is the grandfather of dispensationalism well recognized and interesting listen to what a scholarly book on dispensationalism says about john nelson darby the man that i'm showing you right here what do they say about him now he by the way was in europe and uh, the same time that the people were teaching what Martin, what um, uh, William Miller was teaching, the 1844 message, the coming of Jesus, same time, John Nelson Darby was there, and he was in Switzerland, and he gave an exposition to the theory of what we now call dispensationalism. Listen to this. He proclaimed the most striking innovation called the secret rapture. When? Listen carefully. Around 1843. Let me read to you uh, the actual statement. Darby maintains that he got his doctrine from the Bible alone. However, his insistence on the secret rapture was new even to himself until 1843 or even 1845. The closest, the dispensationalist theologians, this is in their books, can nail down this concept of The rapture the rapture arose between 1843 and 1845 the rapture theory right there around this time between 1843 and 1845 interesting i mentioned 1844 i believe is the day the prophetic day that changed the world and right here at that time this doctrine arose of the secret rapture which in a nutshell says if you're a believer you will not go through any tribulation even though Jesus says there will come a time of tribulation such as never was they say don't worry about it you'll be raptured if you miss the rapture you will suffer the tribulation but you'll have a second chance if you are not saved and Jesus comes you'll have a third chance to be saved during the millennium in other words you will enter the millennium as an unsaved person you still have a hundred years to repent when did this theory arise? right here same time period that's why I'm calling 1844 the day that changed the world now what's interesting, listen to this. Tim LaHaye says this, and I'm quoting Newsweek, quoting, the worst thing a person can do against God is to deceive people about the Bible. Then he adds three words. Tim LaHaye says this to Newsweek. That's satanically inspired. Very interesting. Those are Tim LaHaye's words. Now obviously he is not talking about himself is talking about others saying that if you deceive people about the bible that is satanically inspired very interesting very interesting and this theory when did it arise right there on 1844 fascinating and scary so but we might look at communism which is on the wane in a certain sense we can look at rapture theory that's the second prong but i want to look at the third one briefly here the third prong the third danger that really undermines the belief in the second coming. And it's what I call personal paralysis. Aha! What do I mean by personal paralysis? Think about this yourself. Do you just sit around? I'm talking about intellectually uh, concerning this whole idea of Jesus' second coming. Are you just kind of there? How do we live? How do we... What do we speak about? How do we spend our money, or shall I say God's money that He puts in our... In our hand let's be honest what do you speak about most often what do you spend your time on most of the time do you talk about the latest sports scores, a purchase of a car a computer uh, a camera is it your latest uh, promotion what do you spend your time on that's the big question what do I spend my time talking about am I excited about Jesus coming am I like the people at the time of the flood who who missed the focus Who ignored the warning signs and who ended outside the ark? That's the question that you have to ask yourself, that I have to ask myself. Okay? But uh, this evening I want to spend just a few more moments here on a brief Bible review about the real facts about the second coming of Jesus. So, just a quick review, and I'm going to ask you if you can read with me the Bible texts, the Bible texts that we're going to put on the screen. Some of them you know so well, you could say it by memory depending on which translation you memorized. But, so, if you can review with me here, because I don't want to spend all my time talking about the counterfeits that arose. Now remember, if you came in a little later this evening, we're talking about the whole issue of 1844 and how the devil, I believe, aware of the fact that 1844 was gonna be a major year, thank you, Dan, Um, he uh, got these major global movements to arise, At the same time that god was raising up the people to promote truth so here we want to review now seven major aspects about the truth of the second coming of jesus again you know some of these things go through them with me so we have these counter movements and tonight i'm spending time primarily on the issue of the second coming because while this jesus while god was preparing people to talk about the true second coming on the one hand On the other hand, Satan was getting communism here to attack the second coming by saying, we don't need Jesus to come. We will provide a utopia, a heaven on earth, which turned out to be a hell on earth. Or the rapture theory from inside the church, which says there'll be different types of opportunities to be saved. Or... The third danger, where we sit back and say, well, my Lord delayeth his coming, or I've got too many other things. And of course, that's another danger where we can ignore the reality and the imminence of the second coming. So let's spend a few moments here with me. Um, Looking throughout the Bible, read with me here together. Ready? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Of course, the well-known words of Jesus in John fourteen one through three, his guarantee, his promise, that uh, as the world gets worse and worse, we can, we don't have to worry, don't have to have our hearts troubled. We know difficult times will come, but he has made the promise, he will go. And he will come because he has gone to prepare a place for us. Here are seven truths about Christ's coming that we need to review. And some of them are important because there are some that say, well, Jesus comes in my heart. According to the scriptures, Jesus coming, Christ coming, is a literal event. It's an actual event. One text that we use for this comes from Titus 2 verse 13. Read with me looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second truth about Christ's coming is that His coming is a personal event. Uh, this, of course, is an artist's impression of those disciples who were standing there when Jesus was taken up into heaven. And remember the words of those angels in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Read with me. This same Jesus... Who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven a second truth we know it will be the personal return of jesus he will come a third truth about christ's coming it will be a visible event. Which is why he warns us, don't believe it when they say he's over there in the desert, don't, uh, or he's here in secret. No, it will be a visible event. And what do we use? A passage that comes from John the Revelator, Revelation 1 verse 7, a well-known one, reading, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him okay and of course I'm hoping and I know you are too that each one of us will be here standing ready uh, for that coming of Jesus also another passage that's so well known which is the negative side instead of those who will be saying lo this is our God here's the uh, you know this the other side those who have not accepted Jesus what does it say let's read together then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory there it is again they will see it will be a visible event these by the way are the words of jesus in matthew 24 verse 30. now by the way i'm going to pause right here just for a moment Uh, I think I mentioned this when I did the series earlier on this year two months ago when we study Matthew 24 very carefully uh, there are two questions that those disciples asked and they didn't even realize it and so this is the section that deals with the second coming there's a part that deals with the fall of Jerusalem and we must not confuse the two, even though the one, uh, uh, there's a fall of Jerusalem, end of the world, fall of Jerusalem, end of the world. Very interesting the words, the words that Jesus uses to differentiate between the two. But this one clearly deals with Jesus' second coming. And so it talks about the visible event. Number four, Christ's coming is an audible event. Okay, it's nothing in secret that you won't hear. Read with me now. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. That's Revelation 16. Let's read further now from 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. And the artist impression here of the graves being opened and uh, families being being reunited here, uh, children reunited with parents. Uh, This, of course, is a great day to look forward to. And then verse 17 continues now. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the lord and of course the artist's conception here Uh, what about the rapture now obviously the word rapture is not found in the bible the word rapture means a catching up or a snatching away and if we go further into it what about christ's coming as a thief because this is part of where the idea comes from christ coming as a thief refers not to how he comes but to when he comes that is it's unexpected it's a surprise to those who are unprepared now even if you are prepared it will be a pleasant surprise by the way anybody know of pleasant surprises we we'll love them okay it's the unpleasant surprise we don't like so he will still come in that sense but it will be a pre- pleasant surprise not as a thief but as something we that we look forward to with a great anticipation here is uh, what this whole suddenness is all about let's read together now from 1st Corinthians 15 in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so that's again this whole concept of uh, what will happen it's not simply a secret rapture uh, this is something as I pointed out early early a few minutes ago that was uh, invented in the right there somewhere between 1845, 1843 and 1845 according to dispensational eschatology that's when John Nelson Darby came up with the idea even Time Magazine points this out that this was a new, a novel invention in Christianity never seen before that time period between 1843 and 1845 just at the time when William Miller was proclaiming the second coming of Jesus That's when John Nelson Darby came up with the idea. Number five, the Christ coming is a glorious event. Read with me now from Matthew 24, verse 30. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So it will be this glorious, magnificent event. And of course, magnificent in this sense also, reading from verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the son of man be Now, I want to stop right here for a moment because recently I've been doing further study fascinating on this whole issue of the lightning flashing from the east to the west and the thief in the night Um, yeah I think somebody said I can go to 8.15 so I got two or three minutes to share those with you something interesting I heard a, a theology professor one day in public, saying this. He's a seminary professor. He said, Did you know that the Bible, listen carefully, does not say that Jesus is coming soon? Huh? Did you just hear what I said? Revelation, and I'll show you the verse in a few minutes, Revelation 22, verse 7 verse 12 verse 20 says what behold I come quickly hmm that's what he said I said huh I would never thought of it never heard it so he said go and look at the Greek the Greek says Jesus is coming quickly as the lightning flashes from the east to the west wait a minute think about this for a moment let me ask you a question anybody here have kids any parents? Oh only two. Okay. Anybody here have little brothers and sisters? <laughs> okay. Lots of hands going up now. Your little brother, your little sister calls you. you uh, in class. Says, hey can you come quickly? Okay? And you say, well I cannot come now but but as soon as i class is over I gotta finish this then I'll come quickly. What that has to do, you come quickly it has to do with speed. Then the kid says, but can you come soon? No, I cannot come soon. Ah, notice the difference. Soon has to do with timing. Quickly has to do with speed. Think about that. So I began to study and look at it. And sure enough, the majority of Bible translations, especially formal Bible translations, not paraphrases, not dynamic translations, guess what they say? Behold, I come quickly. Quickly has to do with manner, not timing. And when you look at the Bible, it doesn't say coming soon. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean you should sit back and do whatever you want. Because Jesus says, don't be like the evil servant who says, my Lord delay, is coming, and then goes and beats the servants and everything else. No, Jesus coming is going to be like lightning flashing. And of course, Jesus tells us, be ready at any moment. But it's interesting. The whole idea of soon has to do with timing. And the reason this is important, there have been people, I've heard of people like that. Who've said, you know, I've waited 60 years. People are 70 years of age. Since I've been a kid, people said Jesus is coming soon and he hasn't come yet. And No, no, no. The Bible says, behold, I come what? Quickly. And it's a radically different word. Fascinating. If you study the better translations like the King James, the New King James, say, behold, I come quickly. It's, the, it's not to do with when he comes. It's to do with the, the incredible speed at which he does come. So keep that in mind. It's as the lightning flashes from the east unto the west and you must be ready at any moment for you don't know when he is coming. Okay? So somehow we've come along and we've added the word soon. Now, what does that word mean? So for us, soon seems to do with timing. So just be careful when we talk. We don't want to discourage people, but we want people to be ready at any moment because we don't know when Jesus is going to come. We talk about the imminence of Jesus coming. And it's interesting. It's a Greek word that's, I am coming quickly. That's the Greek word tahu. Fascinating. So I want you to just read the Bible carefully. I, I've done a study on that. I can share it with you, but I just thought to throw that in for three or four minutes here. Fascinating. Remember, the NIV, some of the uh, dynamic translations, some of the paraphrases will say, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. That's not a very good translation, it's not according to the Greek. That's why I prefer to go with the formal translations like the King James, the New King James. They are much better when it comes to some of these translations. Uh, By the way, that uh, reason for this translation is important because there are people who say, in Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Jesus thought he was going to come soon, which means there will be no 2,300-day prophecy. You see? (laughs) And therefore, this 2,300-day prophecy, 1844, you Adventists have just added in to try to explain the delay of Jesus. Uh-uh. No, that's why we must be careful how we go with which best translations. We're going to talk about Bible translations tomorrow. Uh, very interesting things that happened in 1844. I want to. D- uh, we're going to dig deeper, show you some of the issues that are involved. We want to talk tomorrow about Ellen White, what she did with Bible translations, and from the evidence, why. I'm going to bring out some things tomorrow that i think will be surprising to you yet will be affirming okay it's not the bible bomb b-o-m-b it's the bible bomb b-a-l-m i'm going to share tomorrow so 10 o'clock tomorrow morning i want to share with you some fascinating yet scary yet exciting things that happened all in 1844 and how ellen white related to it and how we as modern day adventists i believe can uh, appropriately relate to those whole issue of bible translations I just thought I'd throw it in for interest sake and we should talk about the imminence of Jesus coming and that we should be ready at any moment uh, because we don't know uh, when he will come and you don't know, I don't know how long we will live. My sister by the way, she was 25 years of age. I shared the story last time when I was here. She died of a brain hemorrhage at 25. You have gotta be ready any moment because the next moment will be Jesus coming in your understanding or if you're not ready his third coming after the millennium christ's coming is a climactic event let's finish up here a few verses here read with me here now i saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and the armies in heaven followed him on white horses now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it He should strike the nations. This is a climactic event. Jesus comes at the end, at the climax of the ages. Finally, Christ's coming is a decisive event. Okay, and what does uh, Jude 14, 15 say? Read with me. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly. And of course, uh, in Matthew 13, Jesus' words, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just. So this is a a final decisive event and we see this in Revelation 22 verse 12 which follows verse 11 that talks about the same thing uh, about his coming in fact this is verse 12 we'll go to verse 11 in a minute let's read together here and behold notice I am coming what quickly that's the NKJV I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his works And it's decisive. Why? What did we say the very verse before? Read with me. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. In other words, when Jesus comes, folks, there will be no second chance, no third chance. That is the climactic, decisive moment where there's no chance after that. So we, you and I, must make a decision on this whole issue. And I want to make a brief appeal in view of the approaching Advent. No one knows when it will be. Now, it is true. Think about this for a moment. Think about this. Would you agree with me? Jesus will not come tomorrow why could I, as a theologian, make that statement? What events? I heard. What hasn't taken place? Susie? The final events that have been predicted. The, the book of Revelation talks about a death decree. Has that happened yet? No, there is no death decree for those who have stood faithful for God. So we know, correct? Am I right by saying Jesus will not come tomorrow? Okay. Only one person agrees. Are the rest of you out there? Okay. Jesus will not come tomorrow. We know that. However. immediately. However. 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 Listen to this. Well, the death degree hasn't come. We believe there has to be a death degree. However. Think about this. And this has happened. This happened in Indiana. where where close to where I live. People were in a hotel. Safe and sound. In a hotel. When an airplane landed in the hotel. What am I saying? We have a helicopter that circles around here. God forbid that in the next five seconds it comes crashing through this wall. What does that mean for us? Okay, you get my point? What does that mean? Jesus coming in a certain sense is as close as the next split second if by His grace He will save us as we live faithfully for him so i'm not suggesting to go out here eat drink and be merry on a friday night or ever do you get my point we must live faithfully for the lord as though it were the last moment because we love him nobody agrees but that's okay okay that's how we must live faithful every moment We don't know when His coming will be for us in the sense that we might pass away. My sister, 25 years of age, unexpectedly had a brain hemorrhage. And uh, yes, so very sad. But so I don't know when it's going to happen. Let's live faithfully for Him. The dragon is going around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them... But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now, notice the context. This is Revelation 12, okay? In the context of the final events of the world, Satan knows in the context of the whole history of the earth, he doesn't have much time left. And so the devil is going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The question to you, the question to me, am I, are you ready for that great climactic event when Jesus will come? Are you, am I ready to stand there with the people and to say, read with me now, and it will be said in that day, what? Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And my simple question to you this evening is, are you, am I, going to be ready to be welcomed into the kingdom by Jesus Christ himself? We know that Jesus died for us. Do you believe that? Yes. Jesus was risen from the tomb for us. Do you believe that? Yes. All right. And he, right now, stands and knocks at your door, at my door. And, and it's not just... Because there are some of us, oh, I gave my heart to the Lord 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or last week I gave my heart to the Lord. But the question is, are you, am I living with the Lord every day faithfully? Are we going to be ready to meet him? Are we excited for that day? Will you, will I be ready when Jesus comes? That's the simple question I want to ask you this evening. And if it's your wish to say, Pastor, I want to be there. I want to stand like these saints, saying, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him. This is the day of salvation. Behold, are you ready to stand right here? If you want to stand with me, I want to pray for you. So that each one of us will be there, ready when Jesus comes, by His grace, through His power, and of course to His glory, to be ready for that acclimactic event. Let's pray together. Thank you, Holy Father, for the beautiful truths of the second coming of Jesus. We don't know when it will be, but we do know it will come as a thief in the night. Yes, Father, it will be like lightning flashing from the east to the west. Help us to be ready for that climactic event. Lord, we have stood in rededication to be ready for Jesus' coming. So, Father, as we stood this evening, as we stand right now before your throne of mercy, we want to firstly say thank you for Jesus who died for us, who was risen from the tomb, and right now who ministers in the heavenly sanctuary on our behalf. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We look forward to that great getting up morning, to that wonderful, blessed day when he will return. We look forward to his imminent return. Help us to live faithfully and to share this wonderful truth with others so that we may all go home when he comes again. In Jesus, our Savior, and our coming King's name we pray. Amen.